welcome to season three of the Making a Difference for Us podcast. I'm your host, Margo, and in this episode, we're discussing education. Today, I am joined by Kevin, Edwin, Jim, and Hyatt. Our first question for today is, who should be in charge of curriculum in public schools and how should teachers in the public sector be promoted or rewarded? And our second question is, how has non-monetary worth of a college degree changed over the past few decades and is the education received worth the financial cost required to receive that education? Jim, if you'd like to go ahead and start us out. Thank you, Margo. I'll jump right in. On curriculum for grade school, I don't have the answer to that. I do know what we're doing today is completely broken. Unfortunately, we have the far left that has taken over our teaching colleges, our teaching profession. It was a dozen or so years ago that they had the article in Minnesota about the University of Minnesota essentially requiring an oath to be a liberal to even be in the teaching college. There was an uproar, nothing happened. Those requirements were still there when I looked two years later. I would bet if I dug into any other major teaching university, I'd find the same. Um, And as you look at the debates over curriculum today, uh, unfortunately, the left seems to have now taken the view of our public schools as their indoctrination centers. So I don't know the answer. Uh, I know I don't like what's happening today. As far as how teachers should be rewarded, it should be on the results that they get and test results, reading comprehension levels, all those kinds of things that go back to fundamentals. As far as college degrees go, that's a whole other topic. Um, In recent decades, it's become this near requirement in people's minds that you have a college degree to be successful. That's utterly wrongheaded. In the same several decades, the monetary side has become increasingly insane people going into tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to get a college degree and then taking years, decades to pay that off. So I'm hoping that we're seeing some sense around that, Um, more talk about the skilled trades and other avenues uh, outside of college. Because of course, too, the colleges are equally uh, now polluted by ideology. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And Kevin, if you'd like to go ahead and give us your thoughts on today's questions. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Margo. Who should be in charge of school curriculum? It's as you look at it, um, I did some research and Holdsworth Center basically looks at it. There's really no wrong or right answer, but it's how the structure needs to take place. There needs to have educators in that room and also has to look at the funding, which is federal government sometimes. And you're talking about it can also be funding through private sectors. But what we need to realize is bullet point number two. This is not a political stance when you're talking about education. You know, as you're looking at a kindergarten, you don't know the difference between Republican or Democrat. So this is a this is a country issue. And if you look at some of the bullet points on some of the things that we are number uh, 20th as being one of the, you know, the 20th uh, nation on education. And what's really curious on that is we're behind China and Russia. OK, so another piece when you're looking at curriculum, it is not a political aspect, I believe. The curriculum should be a collaborated effort and making sure everyone understands and stays in their lanes and understand that premise behind how and who should be in charge and how it's rewarded. Because today's system is rewarded based on how in the U.S. anyways, it's because of the strong union that kind of ties into that part on the reward system. And so then, then you're tying into that reward system based on tenure. So that's longevity versus skill sets and, and requirements. I think those are the things that we've gotten stuck into it. Next question, when I look at promoting education rewards, is because in the contract it says the teachers have so many hours or days 
that they're going to teach. That's an old school mentality of back when we were farmers. So there's a lot of points around how we promote it. I think it's time to break the system and move forward and try to figure out what's the best for the individuals and the, and the kids. We've lost that sight. Because one of those things we talked about before, another bullet point, a race to the top, the initiatives to actually promote competitiveness in schools and based on those fundings. And then my last question is about monitoring college. Well, college, you need to understand that college, you have to meet the requirements to get into college. In secondary schooling, you don't have a requirements to get in there. So those are things that are trying to line up those two in the financial cost. Once again, just pay me now or pay me later. And I believe we need to pay now at the secondary level versus the university level. I'd rather get those individuals prepared for education versus now paying into college. I, I would like to see it switched the other way around personally, as Jim's actually talked about, but we would actually look at the funding point in the secondary versus college. So thanks, that's kind of my takes on some of those things. Thank you, Kevin and Edwin, if you'd like to go ahead and give us your thoughts on today's questions. Sure, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Jim um, and Margo. Who should be in charge or who should be responsible for early education, early curriculum? You know, State Department of Education, local educators with parental support. I think that's kind of where we uh, should look for that. I don't think uh, that's where we are today. I think right now we, we're in such of a, you know, feel good culture, trying to make kids feel good about sexuality and all these different things that are in the news. You don't hear a lot about, you know, uh, the actual curriculum in school anymore. You don't hear a lot about, you know, the, the core classes. There's too much of a concentration on the feel good movement with, you know, wanting to teach kids about different different parts of sexuality, and that's what's in the news, and that's what we hear. So I think we need to refocus and understand, you know, the State Department of Education and local educators need to make core curriculum more relevant and more uh, more prevalent in the uh, in, in the school today. So that's that's my part on that piece. And Santa teachers, I guess you know, when you look at Santa teachers and how they should be paid, I think. Santa teachers should be paid more like the private sector, you know, based on their job and based on their performance, they should be paid accordingly. I think uh, if you're an exceptional teacher, you deserve exceptional pay. If you're a mediocre teacher, you need me mediocre pay. And if you're just not good for the system, we should not keep people in the system just because of tenure. And we should welcome forward thinking uh, educators and pay them accordingly. And I understand there's people that work at at-risk schools. Those are exceptional teachers. So therefore, they should be paid exceptionally. The value of our education and the, and the secondary and, and, and college, you know, I think uh, the value of our education, college education, I think it's, it's, it's diminished somewhat only because there's less concentration on trades and more concentration on people building up a lot of college debt, receiving an education for or getting a degree for a field they don't even work in. I mean, before, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people would get a degree and work in that field. Today, it's just more of a check in the box, get a degree so you, you can put it on your resume. I think there needs to be some changes around that. And when you look at that, people don't have to go to Harvard or Yale to get a general education degree. And, and, and you know, so when you look at the cost of Harvard and Yale, why bother, why, why spend that money when you can go to a much smaller school that's less expensive? However, uh, is education worth expense? I, I would say it's certainly worth expense if you're working in a specialized field 
that requires you to have a certain amount of education or certain type of education that's somewhat expensive to deliver. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Edwin. And hi, if you'd like to go ahead and give us your thoughts on today's questions. Thank you, Margo, Kevin, Jim, and Edwin. Um, first, talking about education is really important to me. I'm excited to talk about it because I, I think I'm the most recent student here. I recently graduated from UC Berkeley, which is arguably one of the best public universities in the nation and in the world. So I have a lot of opinions about education. Um, who should be in charge of grade school curriculum and how should teachers in the public sector be promoted or rewarded? First of all, the people who should be in charge are teachers. They're the ones that are gonna have to teach it. States and localities, they're the ones paying for it. And I think federal government should actually have a smaller role uh, than they do now, which they have been recently expanding over the decades. And I think parents should have a say. Um, if it's a representative democracy we live in, they should also be able to say what is taught, but also it should be limited by the federal government that ensures that certain topics are still taught about to students so they can become good educated citizens of society. But in order to decide what curriculum should even be taught, I think we also need to decide what the purpose of education is. I think you could ask anyone and they'll give you 10 different answers, um, whether it's for better citizens, a better workforce, we need to decide what the purpose of education is to decide our curriculum and to reward or promote teachers. We have to pay them better. We have to do also some additional training or workshops and fund those for them so they can improve their skills and instead of relying on them to just improve themselves. And we have to give bigger budgets for supplies for the classroom. There are so many people uh, who spend their own money for their classrooms and the teachers don't get a thanks for it. Lastly, the monetary worth of a college degree. Well, as someone who's just graduated from a great university, was it worth it? Short answer, no. Um, I actually managed to graduate without any debt. I applied to a lot of scholarships. I worked and um, the cost that, that is displayed is never the cost that I thought it would be. Um, there were so many additional things going through that I had to pay for. And so while I'm extremely grateful and extremely privileged and now have far more opportunities than I ever would have had, um, it was not worth it. Now, should you not get a college degree? Uh, no, you should still go to college, 100%. There's just experiences you can't get without it. So lastly, I'm just a big supporter of trade schools and community colleges. And as someone who went to community college, I loved it and always felt like I learned more than I ever did in university. Thank you. Thank you, Hyatt. And now transitioning into our roundtable discussion. Well, hell, I think, Hyatt, I, you should just drop the mic right now. I, I tell you what, it's a hard act to follow. And I think I saw Jim sh shaking his head and, at one. So you were well prepared. I, I, you know, at this point, I, I'd love to hear from Jim and at one because right now I'm, I'm like a fan right now. I, you just raised the bar for all of us, you know, because you said things I think it resonated with Jim. And there are probably things that didn't resonate with Jim. But like you said, this is going to be interesting because a lot of those pieces, I align with Jim and that one, but there's some other things. So with that being said, Jim, I'm, you know, because you and I usually on a different side of the pedestal and, you know, from that standpoint, because you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, about the cost of college. I think the reward should be from our secondary K through 12 that should reward going into college or if you choose not to, because I think there's still the skilled trades and you and I know being in the world of skilled trades, cosmetology, military, there are other actions that can make individuals great based on a diploma. 
but because of our society today when it comes to higher education, I think that is the piece that we've promoted something that has created a corporations when you're talking about universities. So is that the value? But in today's world, if you don't have the degree, you can't even get to that point. You know, and as you're talking about Harvard, you know, that opens up the doors for more things. So you see what society's created. So, you know, what's your standpoint of college being too high and being debt? It's been forced. So tell me, how do we get around that? Well, so there's a whole underlying theme here that um, I want to go back to your comments on where you said the curriculum shouldn't be political, and yet it's extremely political. And, exactly. You know, top to bottom, you look at what happened through COVID and, you know, a lot of parents in, in watching what their kids were doing, you know, getting schooled from home and learning what the curriculum was, you know, this is big groundswell of homeschooling because they were horrified at what the curriculum is today. It is political and it's getting more political. The number one thing I think we have to have is school choice. And we should stop forcing people to use the failing public schools. You know, you, you think about the number one thing you can do to address the, the racial disparities in achievement over lifetime, it's getting better schooling. And yet, what are the worst schools, the inner city schools that have been run by ideologues for four decades, five decades? Um, so how do you balance that? How do you balance well, that? You're that's saying, where, you know, the, school of choice. That's where the successful it? moves are tying funding to the student and then freeing that student and that student's parents to make the choice. Okay, what do I want in a curriculum? What do I want in an educational methodology and and uh, philosophy, and then the money follows that choice, and, and it's, that money it's happening in places. Um, unfortunately, just not fast enough. Well, I'm seeing um, that privileged piece. Okay, hi, we were we're right in the Oakland area. How do you balance Oakland education to areas outside of Oakland, especially the infrastructure? So when you're saying oh. school of choice, when someone lives in Oakland, how the hell do they get out of Oakland and get to a higher end school of choice? So how do we how do we manage that piece? Hi, I you know once again this is right in your backyard. Yeah, my gosh, I just I think about I actually went to a very great school, an elementary school. Um, I have been in Oakland. In, no, I actually I think <laughs> about Oakland schools, and I'm like, wow, how could how do they function? How do they work? And the schools are more like, uh, more like prisons. And I think about I was very privileged where I grew up, I wealthy neighborhood. Uh, filled with a lot of smart students and parents who had a lot of time and dedication on their hands because they weren't facing additional barriers. And to the answer of, well, how do you help promote those schools like Oakland for people to be better? Um, it's not really, I think, curriculum that matters. I think it's everything outside of curriculum. You know, it's not a one answer with curriculum to fix the problems. There's also food insecurity, housing insecurity. You could also have a lot of adverse home life, homelessness. Um, and or just access to things like computers. I met a lot of kids, even at Berkeley, who had to watch class on their phones because they didn't have laptops. And to watch a tiny class and see words that are so tiny on a screen, it's really unmotivating to do these things. And it's so much easier to just not pay attention and skimp on by when, you know, as opposed to those kids who can pay attention and do well. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of other factors, I think, behind that. And that's that's my point where Jim you say school of choice. 
you know, it's easy to throw out the school of choice because you're sitting in an area that you're going to have the means to pick that school and get that person there. So it, 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 now you get that bigger disparity. Of school I think, of choice. I, think yeah, yeah. I think I think it's twofold, honestly. I think uh, Jimmy right on school choice. Anyway, we've got to be able to have school choice. I think the other piece of that is recruitment. So when you have uh, inner city schools, you should probably be out recruiting teachers that are capable of teaching in inner city schools, not just anybody who will take the job. So I think when you look at, I mean, if you want a better football team, you, you hire better coaching staff. That's what you did. So what yeah, but you have to have the funds and the resources to do that. Sure. I mean, okay, all, good, all the and yet all the people right. who are saying that about the lack of choice are the same ones standing in the way of um, charter schools, the same ones standing in the way of the funding following students to private educational uh, alternatives. So you can't have it both ways. You know, you can't say the choices aren't out there and then make sure the choices are never established. I guarantee you there's not a major city in our country that doesn't have Catholic schools. And yet public well, funding won't follow a student to Catholic schools. You know, the US, we are a we. It's not an I. I remember people getting very individualistic when it comes to education. But regardless of what age you are, whether or not your child does go to public school, everyone should have an effect on public schools because that's gonna affect you in the down in the like later in the down run. The better schools you have, the better neighborhoods you have, right? That's going to also create better workers in the future in the workforce. The ripple effects of school are very important. And so even if you're not paying for, I mean, even if you are paying for a private education, that's your choice, but you should also be paying for a public education because you can benefit so much. When you're talking about that from someone who's struggling to put food on the table, that's not so easy. But that's a personal decision, right? Because there are all there are there are not, also not lots of money other to people. put food on the table. No, choosing to go to a private school. There are a lot of kids who would who would love to go to a private school to have access to computers, laptops, or even just a personal, more personalized education. I think my dad, if there was a Muslim school around growing up, he would have stuck me in it. But exactly, exactly. But he didn't have that option. There were no there were no options like that, and so. Um, Regardless, there are your neighbors, there are kids down the street, there are those kids who maybe want to go play football, who want to be part of a team. There's a lot of benefits to public schools that you still have to offer the rest of the public. But then if you're saying everyone has to pay for them and you're forcing people to do that, number one, you are eliminating choices for a lot of people who don't have the funds. Number two, they're paying for failures. There is, I feel like, some incentives to make schools better. They're federal funding from government. Federal funding is supporting the ideological crap that's going on in schools. I mean, that's the last place I so go. So, what are you going to tell someone? So, what are you going to tell uh, those after-school programs when they have to be cut, and kids are now on the streets instead of being in after-school programs like sports, like clubs, and other uh, activities when they just don't have the funding? And how are you going to feel when? student even though you didn't attend that school but now students from that school around your street are just hanging around not doing proper things they're kind of more likely to engage in like criminal activities what are you going to do about that and then that affects you in that way and so, so i feel like people should so care should it's not an I problem it's a we failing problem. schools no no see, because that's not of the after school programs no, no i'm see, not saying yeah. we should continue to support failing schools this isn't about failing schools this is it about is every me. school 
Okay, see, that's that's that's, the, that's what that's I'm talking connection. about. I, that's I don't have gap. a complaint. My kids are in public school, and it's great because I'm in an area that has phenomenal public schools. For the people who don't have that, I don't want them to keep paying for the failures. And the only way that gets fixed is for the funding to go with them. I think it's a vicious cycle. I, I disagree. I think when you improve schools, you improve the neighborhoods. You improve in everything. Cycle. You get more engaged. Edwin. I, I want to hear what Edwin has to say. Yeah, I've got a lot to say. The thing is, I did the same thing with my kids. My kids, we lived in Mecklenburg County in Charlotte, North Carolina, which was one of the largest school systems in the country. But yet on a report card, they had the worst grades. So I said, hey, you know what? Made a, a, a decision, put the kids through Catholic school, elementary, middle school, and high school. And you know, one of the best things I could have ever done. They had a great education. The student to teacher ratio was great. Uh, wasn't inexpensive in any, any kind of way. But I also, uh, being financially responsible, I also wanted to be able to say, hey, I, if I'm able to do that, should I not either get a tax break so my dollars I'm spending for other kids' education, shouldn't I be able to take some type of benefit from my kids making a choice to send my kids and pay tuition to go somewhere else so they can get a better education? Again, it's a personal choice, but also I like to know where my money goes. And if my money's going for, towards a failing, a failing system, as Jim would put it, why wouldn't I want my kids to be in a successful system and apply money to a successful system? So Edwin, I, I want to go back where Hyatt was talking about. We end up paying for that piece. Failed education is going to have add-ons down in adult life, right? That means, so as we're protecting our little nest egg, eventually those who don't have that opportunity for education, where do they end up? So once again, what do we have? The thing is, we always go back to personal choice. People make choices to do th different things. You can make a choice to live where you live or live somewhere else, regardless of you know. If you're looking at socioeconomical things, you know what? Get a better job. Get a better education. There's all these different things you can do that impact. You sat there and said a better education that yeah. starts the better job. Sure, but to you know help what? that. You, it, so, and if you've got if you got school choice, you can go get a better education. If you, I if have you a question. Can, go for it. I have a question. Who do you think runs the schools? Who's in charge of all the decisions that go on within a school? Who is it? In charge of what happens in the school? Yeah. Who yeah. says this teacher gets paid this much? These kids, uh, you know, this, of, this funding, Department of Education, but also the superintendent. And now a lot of people forget that a lot of the laws and the ability, I mean, a lot of the decisions made for schools is more at the state and local level. Federal funding, unfortunately, they don't fund enough. I'm going to put that out there. Um, but they like to expand the role. And that's a whole different topic I could talk about. But, um, you know, if we look at superintendents, they're usually, there's only in 12 states, I believe. Let me double check. Only in, yeah, according to ballotpedia.org, uh, the position of superintendent exists in all 50 states, but in only 12 states is it elected. And the remaining 38 states, they're appointed. You know, if we really want to talk about how we can make a difference in our schools and how they could run better, I think we need to look at who has the power and who's making those decisions. And I, I don't know about you, in a, in a state where I can't choose and elect someone who's making decisions about schools, I'd be pissed. And that's where I think why, like, Things like that need to change in order for us to make the change later. You know, failing schools 
it's not a teacher problem. You know, I think, and sometimes it is a curriculum problem, but I also, I mainly think it's who we are putting in charge problem. Well, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, especially around elected officials having charge and you see improvements being made in particular pockets of the country through those elections. And that's more at the school board level that's than the superintendent. Yeah, exactly. But I know my superintendent here at the Granville, Michigan schools, uh, God bless him because he pushed back on a lot of the insanity that was coming from Randy Weingarten and, and federal officials about keeping schools closed and keeping kids masked and said, no, we're not doing that. And my kids came through COVID relatively unaffected. Um, so yes, having those good local officials is paramount, but failing schools is a teacher problem. It is a curriculum problem. It's an everything problem. And so you, you really have to have, again, that opportunity to say, you know what, if electing the right people and getting funding and all that still isn't fixing things, I'm going somewhere else. So how does um, um, Finland basically on their GDP is 22 from their GDP perspective, but they're number one. So it's not about sometimes funding, it's about the community valuing what's important. And one of those things they said, what a longer parental leave looks like, the freedom to be a kid, teachers are heroes, the path of principle means the knowledge and cert certificates for, student, uh, for teachers. Standardized testing is not a priority. Who's in charge in education as a public good? Those are the key pieces that had come from the um, Holdsworth Institute about things about making a great school. So one of those things is never talked about political, it talked about the community educating the kids and making sure those people who are handing the touch are heroes and are well-knowledged in what they do. When you said communities being responsible for some of the education, some of these communities, education is not a priority. Exactly. So and you look in some of these inner city places, it's not a priority. So, you know, it's the only way to affect that is through a politicized piece to put the right people that make it a priority. Well, I'm still going to go back with Hyatt says it is bigger than that because if we don't pay for education, down the long run, we're going to pay for it. Okay. We're going to pay for it maybe from lack of education, lack of gym, skilled trades. It's all going to come back and haunt us. Okay. Because you can't find good talent. And so the price you're paying right now for uh, hourly workers, you know, but what is that balance because their skill set? I get more, I got one, just ask Jim. I'm just curious. Are you getting good skill sets in the, in the plant floor for the cost uh, you're paying yeah. for? Where, where my plants are, yes. And again, what I go back to is we're paying for too much failure and that needs to be fixed. Exactly. Which is systemically where Hyatt was talking about. We're going to pay for it one way or another down the road. It's not about increasing funding. No, it's not. Your point. It is not and about. I agree with that. Thank you, everyone, for your thoughts on today's questions. And now transitioning into closing statements, Kevin, if you'd like to go ahead and start us out for today. Margo, I love to start us out today. And one of the things I really want to make the, the important part of what we're talking about is having family and the quality of early childhood education. I think we need to. We forgot the essence that it really belongs at the home. Because that's where Jim was talking about earlier. If I don't like the system, I'm going to find the best place that I'm going to educate my kids and put them in those communities. But do I have the opportunity to? Also, making sure that it is a rigorous, rigor, rigorous process and preparations for our teachers and holding them at the highest standard. So it is my job to making sure as a parent that those educators are at that step. But we also have to have the correct funding in supporting that aspect and accountability. 
through testing, just not the students, but the teachers. I'd love to see what the teachers' levels of certifications and where they're at. Because today, to get an art, you get a you know teaching certificate and you can teach. But do they really have the capabilities? Because I've seen a lot of great teachers and I've seen a lot of poor teachers. So I really want to make sure, and this is not clearly a part of government. I think it's the people. It should not have a political say in the matter. We need to make sure, and it's also when you're talking about religious beliefs and practices. If you choose to take your kids to a Muslim school, then that's your choice. If you want to do a Catholic school or Baptist, whatever, if it's available, it's your choice. Once again, but I think the first choice is public education should be available for everybody. And it doesn't matter what spectrum of where you're sitting on the pendulum of wealth. I think everyone should have the fair, equitable piece when it comes to education. Those are my pieces. And like I said, is it going to be a tough uh, conversation and hard? Yes, because when it's where we're at today, we need to take the time to make sure versus allowing the politicians to make that decisions or individuals who have a lot of say, who have a lot of dollars and cents. I want to see that spectrum of the room that it's basically hit from every area to making sure they hear the voices about education, because I think there's a big impact if we do not hear those voices. So thank you today. And from this standpoint, Jim and everyone, thanks for your viewpoints. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So thanks. Thank you, Kevin. And Edwin, if you'd like to go ahead and give us your closing statement for today. Uh, thanks, Kevin. Uh, you know what? This uh, this episode is near and dear, man. I think education is key. My, uh, my grandmother was an English school teacher for 35 years, placed a valuable lesson on getting a proper education. That's the reason I make sure my children wound up in a better education situation. So when you look at this and everything we talked about, I think there was a couple of common denominators here, and that was uh, one, the education system is not working the way it is today. There's different ways to affect it. And we talked about several different methods. And I think uh, Jim was spot on, talked about having school choice, allowing the money to follow the kids. I think that's a, uh, that's that's one way there's also recruiting when i talk about recruiting i'm talking about recruiting capable and able teachers who are able to improve your children and improve the education system as a whole and that also starts at the school board where we make it's an elected job but we need to make sure we're putting educators in those seats and not people that are you know are unqualified and then the other piece of that is fund allocation. Where, the, where does the money go? Are we doing a good job of the fund allocation for the students? Where is it going? Is it going to better the education, access to good network and books and resources? And I think we've talked about a lot of these things that are very much common denominators, and we agree on a lot of these. But there's also still some disagreement on you know, uh, how we get there and who should be involved. But more importantly, I think uh, when you go back and you look and see who's in charge of our education and the curriculum, you know, state school boards. Uh, so you got the board of, board of Education, local and state schools, but you also got to think that parental involvement has got to be a piece of that. And when you look at some of these kids out here that have one parent or no parent, so how do we affect that? That's where, uh, you know, it speaks a lot about the community and i guess that's where the community piece jumps in and make sure there's no kid left behind and there's equal opportunity for them to get the same quality education so i think there's a lot more to talk about there and we could probably do a whole nother 
second part to education. But if you look in the news today, we don't hear a lot about core curriculum education. We hear a lot more about the influence, the social influence that people like their parents uh, have an alternative lifestyles and these different things and how we're teaching that at school. That's what we hear. We don't hear anything about math, science, uh, history. We need to go back to the core curriculum. And I think uh, we've lost that in the last couple of years. We need to get back to it and let it be less political and more about core curriculum. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you, Edwin. And Hyatt, if you'd like to go ahead and give us your closing statement for today. Yes. Hi. Thank you, Marco. And thank you, everyone. Um, I really did want to hit on some things. I, it, when I'm, I really understand where Jim and Edwin are coming. It sucks when you're paying for something and it feels like it's not working and it's failing. Um, but I think to stop paying for something isn't the way to solve the issue um, because it is a multifaceted issue. I wanted to mention, I forgot to mention it before. Uh, I went to some of the best schools in California. I, I My parents lucked out. I got into some of the best public schools and I still failed. I was deemed a failing student. I was never um, never the smart kid. I My best friend was, she was like the smartest kid in the class and ended up going to like Stanford when she graduated uh, high school. But I was always that kid, they're like, I remember how I had teachers telling me, you'll never get a 4.0. You'll never be able to do anything throughout my whole um, uh, great K through 12 education. Yet somehow I ended up at UC Berkeley graduating. And that's one of the biggest accomplishments I think anyone can have is graduate from a university. But I think it proves to show you can sometimes go to the best schools. And the problem wasn't the best schools. The problem was I had so many different barriers and extreme adverse home life that prevented me from doing well. And this is when I really want to touch back to uh, Edwin. It is a community issue. It is. And we really need to focus on who's part of our community and how our community is being affected. And we can't rely on schools 100% to teach kids everything they need to know about life. Um, but I wish we could talk more about university as well and uh, higher education. I have a lot to say about that. But if I could say one thing, um, it is that I loved community college. And everyone, everyone should go to community college um, if they can and if they can afford it. It was one of the best experiences of my life, and I've learned more than I did there than I did at university. Thank you, Hyatt. And Jim, if you'd like to go ahead and give us your closing statement for today. Sure thing, Margo. Thank you. Uh, thanks to all my fellow panelists here. Excellent discussion. Being a leftist means never having to say you're sorry. We didn't dig too much into the politics of where we stand today, but let's talk about that real quick. You know, the left has dominated our schools, our teaching colleges, our universities for decades. And for some reason, we never talk about the results of that. You know, our schools didn't get in the situation they're in today by accident. And I think it's high time that people start apologizing for trying to turn them into ideological indoctrination centers instead of schools. Um, we're not talking about kids not knowing math, not knowing how to read, not knowing that the Civil War occurred in the 1800s. We're arguing over teaching transgenderism to kindergartners, and it's utter insanity. So fixing the school starts with the fundamentals. I think a couple of people mentioned that. Edwin mentioned parental involvement. Absolutely. You know, that's something I bet we can all hang our hats on as far as succeeding in education was that we had the support of parents. Why is it so poor? Because our welfare system, also coming from the left, has destroyed the family. 
you know, when you have a welfare system that says you can't get help unless you're unmarried, that's insanity, more insanity. So let's start talking about fixing those fundamentals and getting families back together, uh, getting fathers in the house and um, getting parents involved in schools again. We've got some bright spots, you know, we didn't touch on Virginia. Um, interesting governor's race there, Glenn Youngkin won on the backs of turning things around in education. Um, we talked about school boards and there was a, a lot of turnover there because people saw what was happening in the schools because of COVID. If there's a bright spot to COVID, it was shining that light on the utter dysfunction of our schools. And I don't think the utter dysfunction is gonna go away just based on that. Again, I continue to say we're funding failure to argue that we need to keep funding failure and that somehow things are gonna change, I completely disagree with. Um, Hyatt, I agree with you that elections can make a difference, but money talks. And so to Kevin's point, it's not the amount of funding. The countries that are beating our tails are spending a lot less on education. It's where that funding goes. And when it's going to failure, what do you get? More of failure. We need competition. We need the dollar flowing to where things are working, where, where people are fixing those fundamentals and teaching our kids right. So school choice is always going to be number one for me when we talk about education. Thank you all. Thank you all for joining us on today's episode, our first episode of season three. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at Mad For Us Podcast. You can also find us on our website at madforus.org. If you'd like to go ahead and look at our schedule of next topics, it is also found on our website. And if you'd like to recommend another topic you'd like us to discuss, you can do so on any of our social media or on our website.